This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Very low budget, uh, with no production values on crap video, we made a film of Irish people talking about having HIV and AIDS. Mm. And it was a real lesson to me because the film was hugely influential and powerful. And, uh, but it wasn't because of filmmaking technique or right. cinematography or anything. It was because just capturing those heartbreaking stories. You know, and that, that reminded me, because I was a bit of a kind of style over substance, you know. Wow, it looks great, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably still am a little. But, but what that film reminded me, you know, in the late 80s, you know, was just the power of, of a story, the yeah. power of people's testimony. Filmmakers, you're welcome to another episode of F and I Rap Chat. This is a very special one for me. Um, Alan Gilsonen is a, a filmmaker that has inspired me a lot over the, the last few years. Um, and going back even to my college days, one of, one of the, his earliest films, uh, Rocky, uh, The Road to God Knows Where, was um, something that really stuck with me in terms of kind of essay filmmaking and uh, kind of how we can look at Ireland through filmmaking and then every few years over the last decade or so Alan has come out with uh, a whole variety of different films from drama to documentary um, meetings with Ivor uh, the meeting um, uh, the yellow bittern about Liam Clancy and uh, kind of a, a whole <laughs> range of films more more recently and his newest film The Ghosts of Bagatonia is in cinemas this weekend so we really encourage you to go see that it is in uh, cinemas in Dublin and in Galway and um, if you go to Eclipse Distribution you their website you will find uh, all of the places that it is on and it's it's a really beautiful kind of poetic film uh, again from the real art uh, scheme from the art council which is a, a scheme we love on this podcast we've had a lot of filmmakers who've gotten to make films through that scheme and it's a very um, experimental and free scheme that there's just nothing else else like it out there so um, we really encourage you to go and support films like this so it's the ghost of bagatonia this weekend and uh, this is a, a really good hour-long conversation with Alan. Um, very inspiring and some really interesting points about the life of a filmmaker there. So let's go to Alan Gilson.
we are in the studio with the director Alan Gilson, and you're very welcome, Alan. How are you getting on? I'm I'm good. Delighted delighted to be here with you. Um, so I've actually seen two of your films in the last two weeks. Um, you seem to be in a kind of a a busy period, or is that just the ebb and flow of of working in film? Yeah, I think it's the ebb and flow. I mean, I have been described as prolific occasionally, and and I wonder is that a good thing? Uh, I think it's. You know, as you know, projects come together at different times and, you know, one is always, luckily, you know, I suppose, juggling a number of projects. And it seems like uh, a lot of them have come together like a load of buses at the one time at the moment. But yeah. 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 And then the two films that I'm talking about, so there's Lyrici Isleja uh, with Paul Muldoon and Ghosts of Bagatonia, um, both kind of poetic films and again is that kind of a, a coincidence or have you been in poetic mood the last few years <laughs> I'm always in poetic mood <laughs> I'm just trying to get out of it is the problem <laughs> um, no I mean they are as you say they're both I, I suppose poetry is at the centre of the two of them uh, even though they're very different uh, and definitely I have a, a draw towards that sort of cinema uh, and that sort of world but you know, I'd say in the broadest sense of things, um, I just kind of follow my curiosity, you know, and I like I like the ability, you know, we all get kind of pigeonholed. Oh, she does this, he does that. Uh, whereas I really like just trying to match the subject to the form, you know. So, you know, I've made some kind of feature films. I've made some very straightforward television documentaries um, and I've made a lot more experimental work. And... Uh, I love the range of that and probably certainly Ghosts of Bagatonia and, and the Paul Muldoon film to a degree are probably closer to the experimental end of it. Um, yes, because I've been following your career for many years now and Yellow Bittern is one of my favourite Irish documentaries so I, I'd love to get to that but I suppose going back to the earliest kind of uh, incarnations of of why you wanted to make film and what those first effort efforts were. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting growing up. Uh, you know when people ask you about how did you start, you know you should have an obligatory story about film. I mean, uh, and you know creeping into some cinema when I was twelve to watch <laughs> something, and and to be honest, that probably wasn't my background. You know there were certainly a couple of key films maybe in my teenage years that or younger that made an impact. Uh, I love The Sound of Music, for example. Mightn't be the hippest choice, but I also remember kind of creeping into the Sanford cinema in Ranelagh and seeing Easy Rider, you know, which in its own way kind of blew blew my mind. But, but in the broader sense, I wasn't kind of a film buff. You know, I think younger uh, generations like yourselves, you know, you can see so much. You know, you have a whole access to the whole canon of cinema, you know, at your fingertips. Uh, but I suppose I was kind of initially kind of drawn to theatre, loved theatre, loved the kind of magic of that, you know, you know whether it was a musical, whether it was, you know, a pantomime or, or whether it was serious theatre. And um, so when I, I studied, you know, again, when I kind of entered the world, you know, left school, there were very little uh, in terms of film training in Ireland. They were just about all the various colleges and courses were about to explode you yeah, know and uh, yeah. there was something in Rathmines and 
but really there wasn't that ready-made access to film training in Ireland. You know, a lot of people, if they even thought that way, were thinking about going to the National Film School in Beaconsfield. You know, that was... But so I went to Trinity and I studied English and sociology and um, and loved that. Uh, and, and kind of I'm glad I did that, actually, in, in some ways that we might come to. Um, and I directed plays there and I wrote a little. And and then there was just simply the Film Society in Trinity, which I wasn't a member of, uh, to my shame, <laughs> decided they'd make a film. And, and I made uh, a kind of very strange... Uh, adolescent experimental film yeah. uh, there, uh, which was which was a great experience. You know, I literally hadn't a clue about anything, and so I just started from a blank screen. And um, that film is probably only notable for the fact that it it starred Anne Enright, who went on to uh, other greatness. Okay, uh, but um, I made that experimental film, and at the time, which is hard, I think. <laughs> for your generation maybe to understand yeah. there were very few short films made in Ireland you yeah. know yeah. Um, and if you actually made a film of any kind of any duration it yeah. was a matter of national celebration yeah. you know because these were very dark days yeah. and uh, you know I think I remember maybe my first film short film was screened in Cork and there were maybe two short films in Cork you know the other one being Trish McAdams The Drip mm. Uh so so that was great in a way but also you got a lot of help you know because the industry was so small uh you'd ready access to amazing crews so anyway I, i'm making too long a story of this no, no, but it's all good <laughs> yeah as i um then i did postgrad in drama and trinity and again with my interest in i suppose in literature you know i made you know, I wrote to Samuel Beckett, you know, The right. Arrogance of Youth. Yeah. You know, Dear Mr. Beckett, you know, I'd like to make a film in your screenplay, A. Joe. And uh, Mr. Beckett very kindly wrote back and said, go ahead. Right. Um, so we made this film in, in, in Trinity called, or, or, or just having left Trinity, I was still doing postgrad, called A. Joe. And um, got some wonderful people, you know, approached Tom Hickey, great actor. Uh, and Siobhan McKenna, of course, who was a legend of Irish actor, you know, and a- again, that idea that you could be just a, a sort of gormless 21 year old and, you know, dear Miss McKenna. Yeah. Um, but there was a lovely collective spirit at that time. I yeah. think, you know, film was only kind of finding its feet mm. uh, or not even finding its feet um, because my first film, a Joe, first proper film, was funded by the film board. And the film board was then abolished by the Irish government very soon after um, and to be reinstated later. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they were kind of dark times and there were, you know, you know, many you know, filmmakers who really were mavericks who kind of um, were cutting through uh, Irish culture to make films. You know, people like Tahal Black, Joe Comerford and Bob Quinn, yeah. Pat Murphy, you know, these names that are probably, uh, you know, I think should be legendary because yeah. they were really radical. And, and, and of course, also Neil Jordan, yeah. who, who found early success kind of brilliantly with Angel. But all of those people, they were really inspirational to me. You know, they weren't trying to uh, 
they weren't obsessed with success. They weren't obsessed mm. with how do I get the next gig? Mm. How do I get the next film off the ground? They made the films they wanted to make. They were radical both in style and thought. And, and they were also very generous, you know, uh, to me in terms of their support, in terms of help. Um, so we made AJO and, and then shortly after that, um, Channel 4 started in Britain. And Channel 4 was not the station it was now, is now. It was a very radical vision for broadcasting. And they made a kind of fairly radical thought. You know, Channel 4 was set up in Britain to serve minority communities in Britain. And they decided, I think rightly, that Irish people in Britain were one of the largest minorities. So they decided to make a series about Ireland as part of their launch. And they wanted to make one of the films about young people and so I suppose they thought we better get a young person and um, and they approached us and uh, we made a documentary I'd never made a documentary I was kind of a bit of a drama snob you right. know I was kind of like I didn't I to be honest didn't you know I made my first short film not knowing what a film was and then I right. made my first documentary not definitely not knowing <laughs> what the documentary was yeah so we made this film called The Road to God Knows Where which you know became of course a certain amount of controversy and and really just one thing led to another. Yeah. Uh, I saw The Road to God Knows Where a good few years ago when I was in college, actually. Mm -hmm. Sean Crossan was uh, one of our lecturers and um, was a big proponent of your work. And I had to do an assignment on The Road to God Knows good. Where. Proper order. <laughs> yeah. Proper order. Um, yeah. And I, I was really fascinated. It really stuck with me at the time. Um and there seemed to be kind of echoes of the the um, Rocky Road to Dublin. Was that how much aware of you were you or were you trying to... How did you kind of just go about it? Did you mm. just start? <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, I can see the echoes and, mm. and people have alluded to that. And, and it's true. But, I mean, this whole podcast will probably be like a, a confession about my <laughs> ignorance but uh, I'd never heard of the road Rocky Road to Dublin when right. I made the road to Dublin right. um, and you know I really you know again I kind of started from this premise like what's a documentary you know and and really I guess I found my way uh, you know if I have any sort of philosophy of documentary you know which I've sort of you know, invented since, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> For doing podcasts and talking <laughs> to people like you. <laughs> it is my kind of belief that that you kind of find the story. You know, when we made The Road to God Where, we were told by Channel 4, make something about being young and Irish. You know, and this is the 80s, dark days. Yeah. You know, homosexuality was illegal. There was no divorce, no contraception. You know, it, a huge unemployment, huge emigration. So it was a very different country. And... You know, they said, well, make a film about that. And so really we went out without much of a plan and just talked to people. And, you know, subsequently the film was controversial and, you know, condemned by the IDA and Board Fulch and all these organisations. But it wasn't like I set out, you know, oh, I'm going to shaft the country or, yeah. you know, this is going to be an angry film. Yeah. You know, we made the film that we thought was... Uh, we thought was uh, just self-evident. Yes. You know, yeah. I wasn't really conscious. So 
you know, we really just traveled all over Ireland. We just talked to people and we shot images, which I just responded to emotionally. You yeah. know, I couldn't have said, well, why do I want to shoot this and not that? Yeah. And um, and then really, you know, it was shot by Thaddeus O'Sullivan, of course, wonderful filmmaker. And, and you know, again, I arrogantly thought, oh, we'll ask Thaddeus to shoot it. And he just made this wonderful film or no, was about to make December Bride. Okay. I can remember the production manager, Mary Alequin, another legend of the business, saying, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure Thaddeus will do it, but anyway, yeah, yeah. we we struck gold and he did it, and you know, had a very good editor, Martin Duffy, and so I kind of learned, mm. you know, in terms of just learning how to make films, I learned from the crew, yeah, Kieran uh, Horgan, Kiwi, another kind of uh, legendary figure, you yeah. know, he did sound, and yeah. you know, I still work with him today, right, yeah, uh, and that's that's a joy, you yeah. know, he is the best deaf sound man in Ireland, <laughs> but. Uh, we get around that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so all those people really helped, and I guess I found the film then the edit, right. you know, and um, and I quite like that now in retrospect, mm. when I've learned one or two things. But I like that idea of not going into a documentary with a yeah. preconceived notion. I'm yeah. going to do this. I'm going to say this. Uh, I think those films are valuable too. But my feeling is that you kind of go out and you look and you listen mm. and you bring the material back and then see well what's it telling you yeah yeah and have you seen that film in recent years since well yeah horrendously <laughs> yeah uh you know I, I i they rather strangely and kind of wonderfully they they produced a book about it in brazil and right. and i was in brazil for the launch and wow. had to watch it and uh and that was all lovely obviously yeah, yeah. But the first thing that struck me was that the film is looks ancient, like right. you know, it is this it was shot in sixteen yeah. mil, and yeah. it looks like some dark, you know, thing you you know, blow dust off in the right. archive, right? Yeah, but yeah. Which yeah. I guess it is, yeah. but it was a bit of a shock to me to see how old yeah. it looked. Yeah. Um, you know, and of course, with every film, you just see what's wrong. But you yeah. know, yeah. obviously, you know. It, you know, I have a great fondness for it yeah, and, and yeah. the experience of doing it. Yeah. And um, the the one thing I, I kind of like about The Road to God Knows Where is not the film itself, mm. but again, at the time, there was also, we have to remember, no independent production, virtually. Yeah. Like yeah. virtually none. Yeah. And so again, in the same way of saying there were very few short films made. Yeah. There were very few independent anything made, yeah. you know. I yeah. mean, Naaman de Butler was making great wildlife programs for mm. RT, and there were a few others, but yeah. very little. Yeah. So yeah. the fact that we had made this for Channel 4 and it was subsequently shown on RT, I think attracted a lot of attention just because yeah. there was so little. Yeah. And, you know, and it did cause controversy. And But one of the things I like is, you know, a lot of people saw it and related to it particularly yeah. younger people yeah and over the years i meet people and they say oh, i remember that did you make that film and yeah and often they describe to me something that isn't in the film right so i loved your film do you remember the bit about right going, no yeah and yeah. thinking about that since i think there was something in the fact that there were very few films that showed our generation to ourselves and and it's almost like people imagined what they wanted. Yeah. You know, the the, yeah. the film 
was not the film. It was a kind of virtual imagination yeah. that you could make your own film. Yeah. So I kind of yeah. loved meeting people. Say, oh, you remember the bit? Yeah. I love that. And I'm going, it's not in it. Yeah. So uh, that's the kind of alternative virtual version. Yeah. And some kind of my memory of it is a real capsule of a different Ireland before <laughs> the Celtic yeah. Tiger. But there was, I, you know, a sense of anger where you mm. tip tap maybe that's the thing about the feeling that people mm. have that mm. you were tapping into that like how how angry were you <laughs> well you know occasionally the papers you know i'd see these headlines angry young man you know <laughs> yeah. and uh i didn't i don't think i was angry right. you know in, yeah. in fact i think you know in, in lots of ways there's a lot more to be angry about now yeah. and i wish i was an angry old man right. probably am yeah. grumpy at least yeah, yeah. but um no, I wasn't angry, but there was a lot to be angry about. You know, uh, you know, if you were gay, if you were unemployed, if you were working class, if you were a woman, you know, uh, there's a woman in the film talks about, you know, if you if you were an Irish woman looking to have an abortion, you looked for phone numbers scrawled on the back of toilet doors, you know. Yeah. So there was a lot to be angry about. And yet... And I shared that feeling. And yet, actually, there was something in the time in making the film, actually, mm. the act of making the film yeah. was kind of hopeful. And, you know, I'd come out of university and a lot of my friends, like everybody else, had gone. Yeah. You know. And I remember myself and those of us who made the film, you know, we were quite committed to staying. Mm. And... You know, I had other friends working in different areas socially. And and even though the film is angry and, you know, bleak in some respects, there was also a feeling that things were changing. Yeah. Do you know? And the yeah. film in some small way was part of that. Yeah. So it was kind of conflicted in that it was angry at the society we were living in. But part of that anger would generate change. Right. And, and I think... Even though the landscape was bleak yeah. in Dublin or around the country, yeah. there was a sense, okay, this is our country and we can shake it up, mm. um, you know, which is good. Yeah. And that's it's something from my own experience of like staying or not staying, and it comes up a mm. lot. Uh, you, how, how do you reflect on that? I think it's great that you stayed. Mm. Like, you know, how do you feel at this stage now? I mean, I, you know, I, no, I'm glad. You know, I've always felt connected to Ireland. Yeah. Maybe a little less so now, but anyway. <laughs> um, you know, and one of the nice things about filmmaking is, you know, which I think was necessary. Remember at the time, my glib answer would be, Ireland is a great place to live once you can get out of it regularly yeah. yes and you know i did make a lot of films outside ireland yeah. you know yeah. and you know i did a series of documentaries in america and i made a feature film in morocco and then later one in canada and so i and i've also made some films that are obsessively about ireland yeah but it's almost like if you didn't get out you know you couldn't cope with just ireland like yeah. it, it was always nice to go somewhere else explore different landscapes different subjects yeah. so uh no so i've you know i'm very connected to ireland but not i hope in a kind of myopic way yeah 
uh, and it wouldn't be my only interest yeah. by a long shot. And did did you start to think of yourself as more of a documentary plus? Like, because I would be the same. I um would be more known for documentary, but mm. have a real passion for drama as well. Were you trying to kind of forge both paths at that time? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously in in some ways it's it's easier to to make documentaries uh and and i've made a lot of them and and love that but no in my own mind my own kind of deluded <laughs> vision of myself you know inflated yeah. as it may be you know it was always just filmmaking you know yeah. and and even theater to a lesser degree yeah you know that i just do what interested me yeah. at the time so yeah you know, I think you know we all get labelled for good reasons, but that wouldn't interest me so much. Yeah, it's it's whatever I'm working on. Yeah, um, I'd love to hear about the film Timbuktu. I haven't been able to mm. see it, but it sounded like quite a big film. Yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. kind of. I mean, it was strange in a way. Uh, Timbuktu. You know, there was a certain point in the film industry as it developed. Um, I'm feeling like old man Irish film. Like, <laughs> Jesus, I was an angry young man yesterday. Look at me now. Well, let me tell you, son, about the great days of the Irish film industry. Um, there was a point somewhere along the line, I'm not good on chronology, but anyway, where uh, DV came out, you know, which were these small little digital tapes yeah. um, of slightly dubious quality. But it did liberate, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it maybe marked the move to digital, you know, that it liberated filmmakers that even if you weren't shooting on film, which I would have at the start, and maybe you didn't even have the budget for Digibeta or yeah. whatever those big tapes were, yeah. Yeah. of which I have too many at home in my studio, um, that there were these little DV tapes, you know, and they were probably the forerunner of what we're doing now yeah. you know digitally yeah. um, a, and that you could make a film cheaply yeah. uh, and the film board at the time I think under Rod Stoneman uh, felt rather than have people you know swirling around for years trying mm. to raise a budget of yeah. three million to make a film yeah. you know why not make these low budget you know, DB films. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and I I think it was very wise. And yeah. Timbuktu was one of those. Yeah. Uh, I it suppose was it was not long after Dogma, ninety five. Yeah. Things like that. It would yeah. have been part of all that stuff. Yeah. And uh, the the there was this script written by uh, my great friend Paul Freeney, who runs the masters in screenwriting in IADT. Uh, Obviously, his students have never seen Timbuktu. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, Paul wrote this wonderful, strange script kind of based on a, a novel he'd been working on. And uh, and we shot it in mainly in the desert in Morocco, yeah. in the Sahara. Yeah. And I was kind of a bit mad. Yeah. And uh, but brilliant. You know, I don't yeah. I, you know, I'm kind of proud of it. I don't think it entirely worked. There were things partly to do with budget that we didn't quite get. Yeah. But but it was a great kind yeah. of mad experience. Yeah, the spirit of it. Yeah. 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 And and again, as always, as you know well, you know, the gang, the collaboration, the team is so important. You know, PJ Dillon shot it and Carl Merrin did sound and 
yeah, we, it, it was a bit of a mad trip, but yeah. uh, all the better for that. Yeah, yeah. And just to interrupt our interview with Alan there for a quick reminder that the uh, FNI Christmas party is on on the 10th of December uh, in Northern Seoul, just near Capel Bridge there. So check out wearefni.com for more details. There's a lot of people coming. should be a bit of a crack. And uh, it's the first Christmas party that FNI have been able to put on <laughs> in the last few years. So it should be a good one. So check out wearefni.com for more information. We had Anna Rogers on recently with her films and she speaks very fondly of working on the yellow bittern yeah and uh yeah it's kind of i've always used it as a kind of a touchstone for for making a film about someone you know uh so how how did that kind of evolve um i mean it was interesting i i'd done a little work with john murray in crossing the line uh who's a great producer but also kind of wildlife cameraman and filmmaker himself but i i think if I remember rightly I'd made a feature documentary about Roger Casement with uh, John and he he hit upon the idea I think he heard a long interview Carrie Crowley did a long interview with Liam Clancy yeah. uh, on her programme right. and I think she said he'd make a great documentary and yeah. and John rang me and said would you be interested yeah. and I said sure you know of course and I kind of liked all that music, but yeah. you know, and maybe it's come back into vogue now. Yeah, with a renewed interest in folk and all that. Yeah, but actually, at that time, and certainly before that, the Clancy Brothers were kind of dismissed. As, really? You know, yeah. old Irish, the fellas, and yeah. you know, it's kind of we've moved beyond that. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, you know, that's that's how it came about, yeah. and um, you know, we made the Yellow Bittern over quite a long period. Right. You know, uh, and and was only really finished close to Liam's death um, but again you know as you know yourself and you have to be careful as a filmmaker you know to separate the film from the journey because you can have sometimes you can have a great journey and the film is yeah. terrible you know yeah, yeah. but in this case I hope both were good but you know it was kind of an interesting process because yeah. Liam was such a showman and he was so adept at um, you know entertaining yeah. and you know he'd done a million chat shows and yeah. you know he was such a brilliant raconteur and yeah. storyteller and and he was all those but you know initially I found it quite hard to get through to you know the real yeah, right. Liam as I saw it you know a man yeah. I came to I think know and love yeah. uh, and that was kind of interesting challenge from documentary perspective yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it wasn't that he wasn't forthcoming. It wasn't that he wasn't entertaining. But, you know, I think, as he talked about in the film, you know, there was a... Beneath his charm and talent, you know, there was anxiety and darkness. And, you know... But, but yeah, I mean, it was a lovely project to work on. And, yeah. you know, I have very fond memories of that. Yeah. Um, and on that kind of how you find your subjects so sometimes they're brought to you mm. how you know are, are you do you get to uh, a certain point in your career where people are kind of bringing you things or are you constantly kind of foraging for ideas yeah a little bit of both mm -hmm. I mean thankfully people come to me which is lovely 
uh, though increasingly, you know, just this thing, you know, somebody rings you up and they say, uh, oh, I, I'd love to make a documentary about this. Would you be interested? And I go, wow, that sounds brilliant. And and then they go, okay, well, could you write an application for the BAI or Screen Ireland or something? You know, and you're going, oh, this, anyway, yeah, you know. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So sometimes that's a little tiresome. Because right. You think, well, I could have done this myself. But yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like. Yeah, I kind of like the mix, you know. Often. You know, I think sometimes it's the subjects I'm just emotionally drawn to. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't logically sit down yeah. and, you know, uh you know, think, oh, I must make a documentary on suicide. Yeah. It, it's some personal story or something yeah. comes into the frame and that comes out of that. Yeah. It's something I think about a lot is curiosity. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of, I think, two things with documentary filmmaking, curiosity and empathy. Yeah. I think as well. You're so, so right. That's something, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have to, I mean, you have to want to find out you know, I think curiosity is, is, is the perfect word because you have to, you know, if you think you know what you're going to find, then forget it. Yeah. You know, I think you need to go out and learn. You might think you know all about it, but do you really? Yeah. And also then I think you have to see what the subject reveals, you know. Uh, you know, even if you think of, I mean, I'm not his biggest fan, but if you think of, say, Michael Moore and Roger and me, Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and he set out to make a film about the the collapse of the car industry in Detroit, and he tried to get an interview with the boss Roger, and you'll you'll know all this. But yeah. you know, he could have thought, "Oh, this this is a disaster. I can't get an interview with mm-hmm. the big man." Mm-hmm. But actually, he had the sense to realize that actually that was the film. Yeah, the fact that he couldn't. You know, yeah. so yeah. I think as a documentary maker you have to be alert to what's unfolding mm. in front of you mm. and sometimes it's frustrating what's unfolding you know the thing isn't working this won't happen it rained you know yeah. such and such wouldn't talk to me yeah. but rather than kind of gloss over that and try it try and make it all kind of shiny I think you have to see with curiosity what's happening in mm. front of your eyes and, and, and then as you rightly say the second strand to that is is empathy. Mm. You need to be able to be open to people, not always to agree with them, but to, to try and understand them. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm not saying there isn't a role probably also for documentaries that are exposés or, or mm. you know, but I think if you do that, you need to do that with a clear mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, but mostly I think you know, if you're trying to understand the subject, yeah. you know, you have to have empathy. Even yeah. if you meet somebody you don't on the face of it like, yeah. you have to try and find out what's what's making them tick. Yeah. And I'm thinking of your projects. There are a lot of them are different, but a lot of them do involve a key subject. Um, how do you kind of approach the that relationship of working with a subject uh, do you see them as collaborators or is there a line I'm kind of thinking of Ivor Brown that seems mm. like a very collaborative kind of film yeah I do think of them as collaborations I mean they're not and, and they differ you know say the recent Paul Muldoon film was a real collaboration yeah. you know we yeah. worked 
together hand in glove. Um, maybe collaboration isn't quite right because I do believe you're the you're the filmmaker. That's yeah. your job. Yeah. Um, you know, so if I go to have surgery, you know, which I've had, you know, you don't want to collaborate really with your surgeon. <laughs> yeah. You say, yeah. I hope you're good at this. I hope you know what you're doing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or your mechanic. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, you don't want to go into your mechanic and he says, I think your alternator is broken. What do you think? You know, do you think it's the carburetor? Do you think we should change the alternator? You know, so I think as a filmmaker in some practical sense, you know, it's your job and, and you're paid to steer the process but but I do think it's definitely not about getting what you want you know a lot of people think uh, you know it's my film and I just want to get this you know and and you know almost the participants are kind of an irritant if they don't play ball yeah you know whereas I do think it's a, an exchange it's it's a it's a relationship yeah and the relationship has to involve give and take. Yeah. You know, and I do see it's uh, uh, a strand that's appearing now, particularly, say, in feature documentaries, where I watch them and I think, these people just want to be making thrillers in Hollywood or something. Mm. You know, they're not really, they're using the people and the yeah. story uh, as puppets in their grand film yeah you know yeah and they're not really listening to the people uh and i really wonder about that like i wonder about you know and and this this is also inflamed by commissioning editors and funders you know yeah. where you take a story and then you try and manipulate it yeah. so it's sexier or so yeah. it's it looks more like a feature film yeah. and yeah. you know you're talking about three act structure and all that bollocks yeah. and yeah. you know you're trying to force it and yeah. and often you know at the very cavalier disregard for the story you're trying to tell mm. you know yeah. so we didn't get an interview with Johnny so we'll write him out of history right whereas actually the fact you didn't get the, didn't get the interview might be the most important thing in your film yeah and um you know, and you often see these feature docs, you know, and they start like some sort of, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, this is the born like automatic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I saw a fantastic film, which very award winning, famous film a few years ago, whose name I've forgotten usefully, uh, set in a hospital beneath the ground in, in Syria during the war. Oh, yes. For Sama? For Sama. Beautiful Great. Film, yeah. yeah. Beautiful yeah. film. Yeah. Important film. Yeah. You know, true documentary making where yeah. you're there yeah. as it's unfolding, yeah. as people are dying, yeah. as Russian bombers are yeah. blown off your head. But it has this opening sequence where the camera kind of moves up through a, a building, uh, a bombed out building. Long, long, beautiful shot comes out the top and then you can see Syria stretching and then suddenly bombs mm. on cue mm. bombs start you know and, and you know immediately that this has just been fastened on that this is right, a bit okay. of staged okay. CGI yeah. nonsense right okay yeah, and yeah. in a way even though it's a wonderful film yeah. it kind of undermined it for me mm. because mm. it's like 
you know, I don't know what to believe now. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you just, you give us, an, and it was probably because some financer said, yeah. oh, we need a sexy opening. Here, we throw yeah. 200 grand at you and see what yeah. you can do. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think, I think documentaries, if they're to work, yeah. have to be authentic. Yeah. Because that's the only reason. Because yeah. you watch them with a different eye. You yeah. watch them in the belief that there's some sort of truth. Yeah. All yeah. truth is subjective. Yeah. Uh, and you watch a drama, which yeah. has its own truth, but you watch it knowing it has been constructed. Yeah. And, you know, anyway, end of rant. No, no, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, because it's what you remember is the human moments. It's not those. Yeah. 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 yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, there was a film called The Dissident. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you've seen it it's about the Jamal Khashoggi yes and they they're definitely using that kind of boring identity mm. style but it's done cleverly enough mm. that it works but now you're I'm seeing clones of that everywhere <laughs> yeah. you know no absolutely done badly yeah, yeah. yeah. and I remember yeah. you know I got a real lesson after after I made The Road to Godness where uh, another good friends of mine, two women, Claire Watson and Rachel Martin, who were working in the HIV and AIDS area. And they were, you know, again, this was a time when nobody had publicly, no Irish person had publicly come out and said, I have AIDS. Mm. And, you know, and they were doing a lot of educational work and, and they kept using videos, English, American, and they were saying, we need to have some Irish voices. Anyway, out of that, very quickly, very low budget, uh, with no production values on crap video, we made a film of Irish people talking about having HIV and AIDS. Mm. And it was a real lesson to me because the film was hugely influential and powerful. And, uh, but it wasn't because of filmmaking technique or right. cinematography or anything. It was because just capturing those heartbreaking stories. You know, and that that reminded me because I was a bit of a kind of style over substance. You know, wow, oh, it looks great. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably still am a little, but but what that film reminded me, you know, in the late eighties, you know, uh, was just the power of of a story, the yeah. power of people's testimony, mm. and that's nothing to do with me or the crew or anything. It's to do with the people. You know, yeah. That's fascinating. That's yeah. That's a really poignant note on yeah. on documentary filmmaking. Yeah yeah, 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 and especially in the current era, I think when you have there, on on one hand, I think it's great that there's a real appetite for factual filmmaking. Yeah, but it is a bit of you know with all the streamers and all that. But we're mm. seeing it now. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah. You, I, I think you have to be careful. You know, there is this kind of, and I understand it and all that, you know, but there is this pressure to to kind of sanitize and manipulate the truth for entertainment value. And I love entertainment, you know, yeah, if, yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, but if you're saying I'm making a documentary about something sensitive or difficult or challenging, that's what it is, mm. you know, and to kind of, manipulate the truth for the sake of entertainment mm. you know I think 
I think it's misguided. And there's a lot of pressure on filmmakers, you know, and I think mm. I think broadcasters and funders need to take responsibility for that, mm. you know, because they are, you know, film will always exist on some strange mixture of industry and mm. art. Mm. And, and I get that, and I get yeah. that there's money involved, and I get, but, you know, ultimately the films that are successful, I think, whether it's drama or documentary or art films or experimental films are the ones that are true. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and you know, this this idea that you can kind of manipulate people, mm. you know, I find a little abhorrent. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's something that I've talked about a lot in terms of, like, as a filmmaker, you kind of have to be able to sleep at night. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that would be something that I'd often say, you know, if I'm talking to student filmmakers and pontificating like I am now, <laughs> uh, you know, there's no, there's no exact truth. It is always subjective. But if you make a film, you need to be able to stand up. It's not to say that people will like it and certainly people will criticise it or criticise your view or disagree passionately. But you need to at least, as you say, sleep at night but also be sure in yourself you've made the right calls for the right reasons mm. uh, and and y you'll make bad calls as well but yeah. but it's very hard to go to a festival and s stand up in front of an audience if you don't have the courage of your own convictions yeah yeah um so ghosts of bagatoni with that in mind it's it, when i was watching it i, I really loved it by the way Thank um it's was it felt quite pure filmmaking it seemed like there was mm. you and a camera mm. and a, and a place and a sense of place and and then but also mixed with a sense of history and archive and talking about co collaborations i was the producer was part of the archives as well very like much yeah, yeah martin man yeah i'd love to hear kind of about that yeah yeah no i'm glad you say that i mean it did feel kind of pure in a way mm. I mean, it's a kind of unusual film. Yeah. I don't quite know what it is. Yeah. But I I suppose, just briefly, three strands came together, you know, that, um, you know, at the time of making that Beckett film many years ago, uh, I also was lucky enough to win a, a scholarship when I was in Trinity uh, in honour of a man called A.J. Leventhal, who was a great kind of literary figure, very close friend of Beckett's. Beckett funded the scholarship and another close friend of them Professor Owen O'Brien who's this very eminent cardiologist but also a great man of letters um, and all those years ago you know I, I met Owen and met Beckett and Owen kind of introduced me to this idea of Bagatonia you know right. the idea that there had been uh, this kind of countercultural movement of yeah. artists yeah. in all fields um, in the area we're recording now, you know, around Dublin 2, Dublin 4. Of course, we all know the Paddy Kavners and the Beans and those names, but there were lots of other artists. And, and this was an extraordinary movement which was brewing up uh, under the oppressive cloak of Catholicism led by McQuaid. And... Uh, 
so I suppose that was the first strand anyway yeah, I won't make yeah. this too long but uh, you know Owen O'Brien introduced me to that kind of complex world that he was kind of part of yeah um, though he was younger than some of them and um, so that was one strand also Owen also introduced me to a wonderful artist came from Manchester went to Belfast and came down after the Second World War to, to Dublin Neville Johnson amazing painter yeah like a lot of these artists kind of forgotten yeah. to a degree but yeah. Neville is amazing and in the 50s I think we, we were working out because this film was funded by the Arts Council but what we imagined was one of the first grants the Arts Council gave Neville bought a Leica camera yeah. and took all these photographs around the area and around Dublin because he sensed that there was some beautiful desolate uh, world that that was changing quickly yeah. and he captured it and I suppose Owen introduced me to Neville whose work I admire hugely and so that was the second strand of the film Neville Johnson's photographs and then the third strand was that I grew up in the area right um, and you know I grew up on Raglan Road you know now kind of mythical right and uh, lived and walked these streets yeah, you know yeah. uh, the canal Bagot Street Haddington Road Church St. Conlet's College School on Clyde Road St. Bartholomew's Church they were the the landscape of my childhood which yeah. was kind of unusual because yeah. um, there weren't many families it wasn't right. a place generally people grew up in yeah. uh, and it was a kind of mixture of kind of wealth and sophistication yeah. and poverty and uh, you know, bedsits and yeah. people coming up from the country and right. yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and embassies and it was a strange world, you know, yeah. Yeah. a slightly privileged world, yeah, but not as privileged as it is now. You yes. know, you walk around Ballsbridge yeah. and those environs now and, yeah. you know, uh, you can't move for the black BMWs, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. and the electric gates. Yeah. Um, and yes. And yet. <laughs> and yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So in a way, I suppose those three strands came together yeah. in my mind. You know, yeah. you know, some something about the ghosts of the past. Mm. I've always loved this idea of the past and the present, and maybe even the future yeah. coexisting in some yeah. strange way. You yeah. know, when you make a documentary, yeah. you know, I love the idea that you're walking where somebody else walked a hundred yeah. years ago. Yeah, and you know, I certainly felt that within the Bagatonia area. Mm. You know, the idea that there were all these literary figures mm. and stories and writings that, you know, I'd fallen in love with and knew mm. and and yet they had all existed yeah. on this yeah. on these streets that yeah. I knew as a kid. So it was a mixture of kind of memoir and yeah. it was also like it was a lovely opportunity, you know, as you say, it was shot during COVID, mm. during lockdown. I shot it myself with, mm. with a Leica camera, a Leica monochrome camera. Oh, really? That only shoots black and white. Right. So it's, you know, it's not, I'm not very technical, yeah, as yeah. you can imagine. But, yeah. you know, this Leica camera, it's not tweaking color to make it look like black and white. It only shoots black and white. Okay. So it was a lovely uh, journey for me to go out and empty, yeah. cold, yeah. deserted mornings. Yeah. And, you know, I, I kind of vowed just to walk the whole mm. area. Yeah. You know, every lane, every street, every canal, every path mm. uh, that I just walk and look and think. And, y you know, so the film be 
came a kind of fusion of my own memories yeah. and it's kind of interesting what you remember yeah you yeah. know yeah. Uh, it's not always what you think you'll remember yeah um so it became a fusion of my own kind of childhood indulgences and you know these great works of literature and their journey and neville's photographs which were a kind of visual template yeah um yeah, cause I'd be familiar with the area. Myself. I lived on Lad Lane oh, for yeah. a short time. And yeah, th- there is that feeling of kind of, and I used to walk around Raglan Road, and mm. uh, there is that kind of feeling of ghosts yeah. around. And then the, I would, uh, the way you did in a very light touch with just the amount of tents, you know, that even in an area yeah. like that, you're not far from yeah. poverty and homelessness. Yeah. Yeah, homeless yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah. that was something. You know, again, it's it's not like I don't know this area. You yeah, know, I'm yeah, yeah. passing through it yeah. often, yeah. even though I live now in Wicklow. Uh, yeah. But, you know, you don't, we rush in, oh, God, I'm I'm late for the podcast, you know, yeah. and I'm running down Merrion yeah. Square. You yeah, know, you yeah, don't yeah. absorb yeah. Uh, the world. And, you know, when I did absorb it, I just suddenly I started seeing, I mean, most of the time we almost make homeless people invisible Mm. and we disregard them Mm. which of course is the last thing you should do but I was struck as I walked around the streets you know tents everywhere you know and quite heartbreaking and and occasionally I come upon because I kind of like to walk slightly off the beaten track you know if I could find somewhere some back way or some wasteland but occasionally then really strangely I mean there were tents on the canal that were evident to ev- everyone mm. you know mm. uh, but occasionally I'd just stumble upon a tent that was hidden mm. you know in the yeah. y- you know in the centre of one of the wealthiest parts of Dublin yeah. and you'd suddenly in a bush if yeah. you look closely you see oh there's a tent hidden in there yeah. Yeah. and they tell their own story yeah yeah absolutely um, so it's out this week it's out yes uh yeah, it's it's screened, I think, in, in Dublin, the IFI and the Lighthouse, and then in the Polis in Galway and the Triscoll in Cork. So, you know, it's lovely. I mean, we all, you know, we all have pretensions. We're, oh, you have to see it in the cinema, you know. Uh, but actually, I mm. think, he says, yeah, uh, subjecting himself to the same propaganda, uh, <laughs> I think this film really does work better. You know, yeah. it's black and white, it's quite dark, yeah, and it kind of works more immersively in the cinema. So you know, hopefully people get in before yeah. it gets out. Yeah. You know, there's this strange thing, as you know, with releases, you know, is that it's not like, oh, the film is in the cinema for six weeks. You know, yeah, yeah, if yeah. it doesn't do well the first week, yeah. you can't see it the second week. I'm always missing films because I think, yeah. oh, yeah. it's gone. Yeah. So get in and get in early. Yeah. Is go the in, go into your tent and then go to your favourite pub, whether that is, is exactly. Matt Dades or yeah. somewhere like that totally. and have a pint. Totally. And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a lot to take in. I, I was thinking about it afterwards and there is a kind of a, s- a heartbreaking tragedy to some of those figures that, that struck me in a way that hadn't struck me. I, I'm a big fan of Kavanaugh, mm. but, I, there was a kind of a sadness yeah. <laughs> in, in watching the film that I hadn't kind of felt before. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And and it was something I wanted to do, even though in some ways it's a kind of love letter to the area and the writers and all that. But I didn't want it to be sentimental. 
you know, because these artists had a hard time. Yeah. You know, and they didn't crave, mostly they didn't crave popularity mm. and they mm. didn't crave success. Mm. You know, I think a lot of us now we're always, you know, you know, we're putting our posters up and, you know, mm. going on social media and we, yeah. s we seem to crave success in some kind of, yeah. whereas these people didn't, you know, they yeah. were doing it because they believed in it. Yeah. And the price was often poverty and penury. Sometimes alcoholism took them for all the right understandable reasons but you know they were they had tough tough lives and they weren't always acknowledged you know Kavanaugh now you know I mean he really you know and I think somebody says it in the film you know, really he only received the recognition once he died yeah and you know so much of the time now you know Ireland Inc you know we promote this place a great cultural tourist attraction and it is and that's great and I've no problem with that but but you know there's far more complexity to Samuel Beckett and James Joyce and Kavanaugh and mm. Flann O'Brien and Beckett and all these people than a, a tea towel you know they're you know and they had hard lives you mm. know and, and we're kind of uh, a, as a nation we're benefiting mm. from their struggles but mm. I think it's important to remember those struggles, you know, and um, and also dealing with the complexity of their own existence. And sometimes that was dark. And sometimes, yeah. you know, I think Kevin is a good example. You yeah. know, in the film, there are one or two stories about him where you go, oh, that doesn't sound great. And then there are other stories where you hear how warm and yeah. Yeah. lovely he was. And of yeah. course, he was all those things, yeah. as we all are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been brilliant talking to Alan. There's there's a question we always kind of come to towards the end, which is you know kind of learning from the challenges of mm -hmm. you know it's a quite a tough industry and how do you deal with those whether that's rejection or or things not maybe turning yeah. out how you want and yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose you know you always believe the next one will be good, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and I, I, that's not a kind of false modesty, you know. I think. Uh, but I think it is a tough industry, you know, and I think it has become a very competitive industry, uh, you know, and I think I think the films suffer a bit because of that. Mm. I think you have to, it's probably only worth the pain, you know, if, if you're doing stuff you really want to do, mm. you know. Mm. And I think, you know, film in Ireland has become increasingly professionalized and that's good in lots of ways. Uh, but I do also think there is an onus, as I was saying earlier, on funders, broadcasters, um, you know, to honour that, you know, mm. to honour the filmmakers mm. that, you know, it's not just producing toilet rolls, like, yeah. cheaply and of good quality, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, and I do feel, you know, when I started off in the dark dog days of Irish cinema, you know, there wasn't much support. There wasn't much opportunity. There's huge opportunity now, and that's brilliant. Yeah. And there's great films coming out, and that's brilliant. Yeah. But I think that we do have to remember that film is a cultural process as well. You know, it and it is something that colors, you know, the hearts and minds of people and entertains and delights and scares and moves and all those things and all the complexity of film mm. uh, 
but it's not just a cynical exercise. And I think I think funders need to take responsibility yeah. for some of that cynicism that's crept in. Uh, and filmmakers need to try and preserve their own sanity uh, and their own heart in that process, you know, if that doesn't sound too pious, which no. it does. No, it doesn't at all. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. Um, no, fantastic answer. And uh, it was great to chat to you. Best of luck with the the release Thank you. and um, your future films yeah. as well. I always look forward to the next Alan Gilson film. And, and likewise, best of luck with all you're doing. Cheers. Thank you. Hello, my name is Stephanie Preisner and I'm here to tell you about my show, Basically. It's all in the name, really. The show makes things basic for people. We've done episodes about world religions. We've done episodes about COVID. We've done episodes, a lot of episodes about mental health and different aspects of mental health to make things accessible to people. One of the great things about the podcast is that you can contact me and let me know what topics you would like so have a listen see if anything tickles your fancy and if there's something there that you think is missing please get in touch with the show we'll cover the topic and then you can listen to it we're part of the headstuff podcast network so you can find us on headstuffpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts see you soon